That's strange. Uh, if everything is the result of uh, past action, mm-hmm. karma, ripening, then uh, there's a theory that uh, everything's been done before. Everything you experience has already been done before, since you've been here f- forever. So then, uh, how do you uh, have a brand new experience, such as realizing the true nature of reality? Let's let's examine the the uh, suppositions here behind the question. Well, first of all, the question is that um, if everything is a result of past actions, I'm not sure how that fits in the other part of it. But you said if everything is a result of past actions, then Everything's been done before. Well, given given that uh, you experience the result of something you've done before, and then that creates like a cycle, then the, yeah. the result comes. And since you've been here mm-hmm. forever, right. then you're just going around the same patterns, right. roughly. But then suddenly, something brand new that's never ever happened before happens. Right. Um, how is that possible to, to to be a result of a seed which can only have come from something which is a habit? Okay, so... <clears throat> all right. How can something new happen if everything that happens is the result of past actions or, as you said, is the uh, result of a... A, a, a karmic seed, but uh, okay. Well, let's let's examine that. Okay. Now, so there are some there are some assumptions here. There's assumptions that um, that of, of a certain kind of relationship between uh, causes and effects. I think. Right? Because for something new, for there to be a question about something new happening, uh, you know, then you, there must be some sort of assumption that the only thing that can happen is something that has happened before. Well, the result is similar to the cause in a karmic seed ripening. Right. Result, and suddenly there's a moment where something which it doesn't contain. Right. Ignorance happens. So there's a supposition that that causes and effects are very similar. Not not sort of similar, but precisely similar. Okay. Well, if that were the case, it would be hard to imagine anything new happening, that's for sure. But why would we assume that... Uh, Causes. In this case, you're talking about karmic causes. Why would we, why would we assume that causes and effects are are that similar? Uh, if it's not the case, then there's absolutely no reason to keep any ethics. 
Because the result has absolutely nothing to do with the cause. So the only reason for behaving ethically is that uh, if you do something to me, somebody's going to do exactly the same thing to you? No, but it's more in the fundamental side that if you refrain from harming others, then yeah. you will experience a lack of harm yourself. Or if you want to have a calm state of mind, then you would deliberately avoid disturbing others' minds in order to have a calm state of mind yourself to benefit meditation. So in that way, the result is similar to the course. Okay. Well, it's still very similar to the same thing. You don't harm others so that you won't be harmed, because if you did harm others, then you would be harmed. And you are uh, respectful of uh, others' mental peace and calm so that you'll be able to enjoy the same thing in the future. And you're, but, but the suggestion that if it were not for that, there wouldn't be any basis for ethics and morality, that seems, to me, that is a gigantic jump. <laughs> <laughs> it means uh, if that's the only basis for ethics and morality, then the person for whom it's a basis of ethics and morality must be an incredibly self-centered person, pretty much devoid of any sort of empathy or compassion or uh, for other beings. No, there's a basic, I mean, my, this is just my view, that there's a basic humanity comes in keeping ethics, but in terms of that, uh, that basic humanity is just to be liked or to be able to get along with your fellow yeah. beings in the world, which is all around the self. It's all about... Uh, my relationship with my world and so it's all soaked in holding things to be self-existent, truly self-existent so that may well be a basis for why you keep ethics but that's not a basis that I believe is going to lead you to to freedom or is it? You know I'm asking you, I don't know, this is just my theory so it seems to me that all that is is very much grounded in uh, holding to a self and holding others to be self-existent and and how can that seed lead to the very opposite of that which is experiencing the fact that there is selflessness and that things don't have inherent Mm -hmm. nature. Okay, there's a lot here. I'm I'm trying to find for myself a a nice beginning point, a a thread that we can follow in this. And these are really good questions. I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, and, and hopefully I'll find a, a, a place to start with. But, uh, okay. What we're talking about is basically a combination of uh, questions to do with uh, causality, and especially certain interpretations of karmic causality, which would posit that what happens to us is very, very similar to what we have done. And that's intertwined with the question of morality and ethics. Uh, Would there be any basis for morality and ethics if it weren't for uh, 
the idea of karma uh, that where uh, as uh, as you as you do, so shall it be done unto you, sort of thing. So the, these are two things that are tied together in this. And somewhere in here also is a question of uh, if if indeed uh, that kind of strict one-to-one relationship between uh, karmic causes and karmic results exists, how could anything new happen, especially since we probably lived endless lives and everything that we could ever do or think has already been done and thought. That's it, right? <laughs> um, I would have to say this is a really good exposure of the problems in some of in in some of the assumptions that are, are behind this. Um, I'd like to start with the ethics part of it, though, because some of these views on karma. Uh, this is this is the basis on which they're presented to us is that that there would be no reason to lead an ethical and moral life except for uh, the laws of karma and then the laws of karma are interpreted in such a way that whatever you do that's what's going to happen to you so the only way to make the kinds of things you want happen to you is to is to make sure that you do to others what you would like them to do unto you, and you don't do it to others what you wouldn't have them do unto you. And if you do enough of that, then that's what you'll get eventually in some future life. So I'd like to approach, I'd like to look at the ethics and morality of this and to really raise the question, is, is there any real foundation to the premise that uh, that this particular kind of karma is necessary as a basis for ethics and morality. Now, because I think it assumes a degree of selfishness that doesn't correspond to what we actually see in human beings in the world. And as a matter of fact, just to quote from a different system, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not do unto others so that they will do unto you. And I think the whole basis of that teaching, there was not a, there was not a presumption of karma. Uh, And later on, that teaching became one of a reward and punishment thing, so that if you if you didn't sin and if you you know kept that golden rule, then you would be rewarded by eternal life in heaven in the divine presence of God. And if you did, you would uh, if you didn't keep that and you did sin, then you would suffer eternally in hell. Um, but that actually, from what I can tell, wasn't really what Jesus meant to say when he was saying this. He was talking about something that comes from 
the heart from the sense of love and compassion. Um, you know, some people would say there's no such thing as altruism. <clears throat> that, in other, you all know what altruism means. It means where you do something entirely for the benefit of the being or person you're doing it for, with absolutely no expectation of any sort of reward in return. And there are people who claim that there is no such thing as altruism. But on the other hand, my understanding of it is is that uh, behavioral scientists have actually found uncountable numbers of examples of altruistic behavior, not just in humans, but in all kinds of animals, where there is no possible, conceivable way that the action could have been performed out of an expectation uh, of reward or um, the avoiding of punishment. So, you know, I look at this and I think we have something in us that is capable of manifesting as altruistic behavior. We are capable of experiencing love that is not the selfish, uh, sexually motivated love or the selfish, possessive love of our children and things like that, but we are, we are capable of the kind of love that the Greeks called agape. Um, I find that in human beings there is something innately present in us that is best described as compassion. That we see suffering in another and we can relate to that on the basis of our own suffering. But we want to relieve the suffering of the other. And not, it's not because of a fear that we're going to have the same suffering or a desire to avoid that suffering. It doesn't even, I mean, it can come, but when I'm talking about true compassion, it doesn't even come out of a desire to eliminate the suffering of the other so you no longer have to endure the sympathetic sort of experience of the suffering in the others. You see, I believe that we have a capacity for altruism, for love, and compassion. And that that probably played quite a major role in the way the world worked before societies got large enough and complex enough and individuals became anonymous enough <clears throat> that we need to, to construct a systems of ethics which we created rules so that, you know, uh, and the rules are that uh, if, we, if we don't want to be killed when somebody gets mad at us, we make a rule in society that says that you don't kill people just because you're mad at them. And then we enforce that. And all of the other rules of society, which basically are a reflection of uh, a cell of, of, I mean, laws and social ethics are entirely self-centered and selfish. If I want to be able to live in a large community of other people uh, without 
suffering at the hands of others too much. We need a system of laws and ethics and rules that are relatively stringently enforced to protect, protect us. And, but I think that that's a function of large groups of people living closely together. Uh, I don't think it's a reflection of an absence in our innate nature of a basis for morality and, and ethics. Now, it's true that if you fear heaven and hell, or, or if you... No, if you fear, I guess it's hell you would fear. <laughs> if you fear a judgment and you're going to go to heaven or hell based on what you've done, you know, I mean, that's, the, that's, that's operating on the basis of your selfishness, you know. Uh, and it is taking your innate national, natural selfishness, which uh, inarguably is a really major part of how we behave, and it's turning it around to help make you behave in socially desirable ways. And the same thing with karma. If you, if you live with the fear of experiencing the consequences of your karma, you'll behave yourself. And if you can't hope for the prospect of rewards, if you... Uh, behave well and treat other people well, then this is a selfish motivation. But I don't think you need either one of these things. As a matter of fact, when I look at history, uh, and actually when I look at what happened in the West, because I guess probably I know Western history, maybe I know Western history better than Eastern probably do. But anyway, look, that in terms of the progress that's made by Western societies in overcoming gross injustices uh, and selfish patterns of behavior that were extremely exploitive uh, uh, of others and cruel, they didn't come out of the religions that taught uh, salvation and eternal damnation. They actually came out of humanist movements, most of the proponents of which were either agnostic or atheist. So the evidence of history in the world is that it's not the religiously driven fears of heaven and hell, and I would suspect it's not. It's also not the concern with experiencing karmic results that is primarily responsible for what goodness that we do see in society. Although I don't deny that both of these are useful tools in keeping, to a certain degree, keeping societies in line and making people behave. But I, I would argue that, that, that this law of karma is not the basis for human morality and ethics. And to the degree that it's used that way, and to the degree that a person would respond to that, what they're doing is they're reinforcing in themselves their own selfishness, their own self-centeredness, their own conviction that they are a self-existent entity, 
uh, and that the other beings and the other entities in the world they interact with are self-existent, substantially self-existent from their own side. So I don't even feel that this particular doctrine is very useful. I know that what happens when somebody attains a degree of realization that there is a a profound decrease in their self-centeredness in their sense of, of separation and that has the effect of making those innate qualities that I sense are already there in all people to some degree they become far more pronounced as a person becomes less self-centered, as a person comes to understand their own, the the emptiness of their own self, compassion manifests, love manifests, they behave more altruistically. Uh, Their reluctance to do things that are harmful to others is diminished enormously and it has nothing to do with the fear of any kind of karmic consequences to be experienced in the future. It comes internally from a sense of it being the only thing to do, the only way to be.